0: C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. And now, here's Cynthia. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for being here today with me.
1: And this show that we're going to do today is, I kind of just named it Relationship 101, because we're going to look at just basics of relationships and how we can help them and cause them to be more successful because we know that relationships are part of the way that humans are made and it is the number one thing that they need to do is to be able to connect and relate with others. So I like this um, author, Dr. Seuss actually, and this is what he is quoted as saying. Sometimes the questions are complicated and the answers are simple. So we do know as humans that we can certainly complicate things, even though we are complex, we don't necessarily have to have them be complicated. And this, hopefully today you'll find some ways to help uncomplicate some of those relational situations that you find yourself in. So I can really appreciate this quote and the philosophy behind it. So that, that is to, not to say that relationships are necessarily simple. On the contrary, they are very, very complex. But there are many things that we can do, especially if they are constant, that make those very complex relationships work smoother and help to stop the complex from getting overly complicated. So as a result, we're going to focus on some basic principles in the following areas that I'm going to go over with you as a way to uncomplicate this complex issue of relationships. So these four major relational areas that if we are able to manage them well, we will have truly help to cause the relationship to be successful. So the first one we're going to talk about today is appropriate expectations for others and for ourselves. The second thing we're going to discuss is learning to respect gender, temperament, and personality differences. And then we're going to talk about setting and maintaining healthy boundaries. And the last one we're going to talk about is how to live peacefully in a world that demands instant attention. Because we know that that last one, when that causes stress in our lives, it has a tendency to trickle over into our relationships. So when we look at appropriate expectations, you may have heard this The saying, no expectations, no disappointments. Well, what I would say to you is no appropriate expectations, no intimacy. And then you will for sure have disappointments. Because a relationship without appropriate expectation is like a house without walls. And and realistically, we all have expectations. It's whether or not they are appropriate to the level of intimacy that we have in a relationship. I know you, you turned this radio show on today and you expected it to be on the air. Um, I, am a psychotherapist for a living and I know that clients expect me to be at that appointment. They expect a certain level of professionalism. And so part of having appropriate expectations is, is what we're going to talk about today so that we can know what is appropriate. So when we talk about a a relationship with no walls is, is similar to a, a house, um, a relationship without appropriate expectations is like this house with no walls. And if there are no walls, there's nothing holding up a roof, therefore, there's no shelter. so relationships that desire deep intimacy, the kind where you really know me and I really know you, these require structure, dependability, effort, commitment, humility, and certainly you want good inter and interpersonal skills and, and maturity so obviously, we're all working on these traits, and they will not be completed until the return of Christ or we pass away so however. If they are genuinely pursued on a regular basis with understanding and a supportive partner, the chance for a very healthy and meaningful relationship is probable. We always want to look to God as our template for relationship. How does he relate? Well, we have the love chapter. I mean, wow, that, that is a great template for how to relate and how to love. Now, this can seem insurmountable to me. So if my friends, my husband, children, clients are expecting this all the time, then they probably are going to have some disappointment. But if they realize that this is my intent and that I'm using that as a standard and I apologize, take responsibility when I miss the mark, then we end up doing very well. If I were to make the complex simple, I would say to you, the things that you should expect from very intimate relationships, such as best friends, lovers, partners, spouses, etc., would be, number one, the ability to keep a confidence. Now, this is, this is important as we are wanting to have more intimacy and sharing who we really are. We need to know that that person is going to keep a confidence and that the things that I share are truly mine to give that person and they are not for that person to be able to give away whenever they want. Secondly, the commitment to not judge the person, but to trust a process with God. So if you can't do this, you cannot have intimacy because you're probably not with a safe person. See, if that person is constantly judging you, then you're going to know that there are things that are going inside of them, that they are probably judging themselves as well. And judgment in a relationship that is wanting intimacy is not going to work because God does not judge us. He does not condemn us. This does not mean that we're not looking at behaviors because we're not saying that, that safe people are perfect people. It means that safe people are trustworthy. That means they're working on their own process. They're on their program more than you would need to be. And so these are, these are safe people. So if you can't trust that the person is working hard on his or her own life, then you will have difficulty with, with intimacy. Because the person is going to either be put in a parental role or one of a police officer or a therapist, or you're going to have to be the police officer, the therapist, or the parent. So it doesn't mean that we don't occasionally operate in those roles. But if that role you're constantly in, then you can't have intimacy. There's no room for a peer relationship. So the second expectation is you have to be able to trust God for their process, whether you see it happening or not. If you think it's not happening and you choose to stay, then you still need to trust God and not you to make their life work. And so I love this prayer by Martin Luther. He says, pray and let God worry. So it's important when I am close with people and in intimate relationships with people that I trust that God is completing the good work in them and that I can believe that and I don't have to be micromanaging or on top of it all the time. So number three, decency and politeness. This indicates respect. This is a must. We must have decent behavior, decent language, decent ways of talking and, and interacting with one another. We need to have politeness. You, you'd be amazed at what what being polite in your most intimate relationships can do for it. What it does is it creates this wonderful, safe atmosphere. And people have a tendency to, to not be as um, as amped as they generally are when we're out in the world and we're dealing with people that are very impolite. It causes us to get very defensive. So when I am very polite in my most intimate relationships, there's going to be less defensiveness. So now, what are some expectations on yourself? What are appropriate ones for you? Well, doing your side of the relationship, like we talked about, that we're expecting the other one to do their side of their relationship. So I need to expect that I'm growing and maturing, that I'm using my voice to ask for what I need, expressing my feelings appropriate, not expecting the other to read my mind or to pick up on subtle cues. And so are you holding the other to the same standards that you have for yourself? And so, or is there a source of pride there? That maybe you're, you're seeing yourself as doing everything perfectly and you begin to judge the other person. So the next one here we want to look at is that you need to expect to have hard times, confusing times, times of doubt, but that you're not depending on this person for your peace or your ultimate security or for them to be God. So you can expect that there are going to be hard times and expect them to be mortal. They are just mortal humans. So many times I'm telling clients, if they're talking about their wife, I say, you know, she's immortal. She's she's a human. Or I'll say to women, he's a mortal man. And we need to accept that people are mortal and that God is working on their process. So we get some perspective and we, we can major in the majors and not in the minors. So we focus on the positives. I'm, I'm thankful that God does this with me regularly. So many times it can help to ask if you're going through those hard times or confusing times, you can kind of reorient yourself and say, you know, why did I marry this person? And there there's many reasons. If you look at all the dating that you did and you look at many of the qualities that, that you know that's in that person that you love, that can help to get some better perspective. Sometimes it helps if you just say, you know, in the course of eternity, will this matter? Or is this criminal? Is this illegal and immoral? Or is this just not the way I want or this just isn't comfortable for me. So it helps us to reorient ourselves and and look at ourselves and expect to have those hard times. I expect honesty. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're always going to get honesty, nor nor is 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 it always appropriate to be honest? There are many times when we have to have timing when it comes to honesty. And you have to ask yourself, you know, are you completely honest with yourself, with God, with others? So this doesn't mean that we accept blatant, malicious deception. This means that we want to have timing when it comes to telling the truth. Because God tells us that then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, I'm also very thankful he doesn't tell me the whole truth about me all in one shot because I wouldn't get out of bed. So he kind of gives it to me in pieces. So this doesn't mean that when we have someone that is doing deceptive behaviors that can damage their relationship terribly, that, they are, that we are going to give them a pass on being dishonest. What we're saying is that I want to filter my internal world and I want to filter a lot of what I tell this person and why I'm telling this person. Am I burdening this person? or Because I'm not taking care of my side. All right, number seven, you want to expect to help the other be the best they can be. And this is done through love and acceptance. So why do you think people come to see a therapist? See, I give them time, I have patience with them, and I have appropriate expectations of them. Number eight, expect to be challenged and uncomfortable as you examine yourself and your motivations, your own control issues, your own woundedness. So expect many times to feel like things are one-sided and unfair because we're dealing with people and nothing is fair. Expect to pray a lot. Expect to ask for and give a lot of mercy and grace. Expect to have empathy and compassion for even the smallest things, things that don't even make sense to you. Expect to expand your ability to accept and enter into another's reality that may not make sense to you and you may not always approve of. Expect to find out how much you don't know and how much you are not God. And then expect to have fun and grow and be loved. Expect to help teach others how to do those things as well. So we want to believe the best about the other person at all times. We really do. That's what God does for us in the love chapter. We want to tell ourselves, this person is not the enemy. This person is, is not out to get me. Because the bottom line is, if they are, then it's going to be very difficult to have appropriate expectations with someone that is malicious, safe, evil, narcissistic, uh, criminal, any of these types of, of egregious um, behavior qualities or qualities in a person. So you, you, we're talking about what are appropriate expectations for all those people out there that are like you and I, that are struggling every day to do the right thing, trying to do the best that we can, knowing that we're messing up. So these are appropriate expectations. We're going to come back in the next segment. We're going to talk about respecting gender, temperament, and personality differences. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. for joining me. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and today we are talking about Relationship 101. So we are talking about four basic areas, four major relational areas that if we can kind of get a handle on, our relationships will be very, will be much better managed and we will enjoy them much more. A lot less woundedness, a lot less frustration with the other people that we love. And so one of the things we talked about in the last segment was this idea of appro- having appropriate expectations on ourselves and others. The second one is learning to respect gender, temperament, and personality differences. And we're going to talk about that in this segment. So it's imperative when you are in relationship with people, I, I really want to encourage people to understand the need um, to educate themselves on the foundational understanding of gender differences and how different the two genders are. There are some very basic hardwiring And we need to accept that these are God-given differences, and he likes the difference. And he does not appreciate our demeaning, demoralizing, or a general judgment as to whether or not a person should or should not be that way. So it's imperative when we are trying to manage intimacy and wanting to have deeper intimacy that we understand basic hardwiring and differences in human beings. Because if we don't, we are going to then judge certain behaviors and think that they're dysfunctional or the person's doing it to me on purpose, to drive me crazy. And we're not going to understand that this is part of just the way that they're hardwired. So that's not to say that we are to indulge in our gender, or our temperament, or personality. But the more we know about gender, the more curious, fascinating, and endearing gender can and should be. This is like different breeds of animals. You know, I, I say to clients frequently, you, you wouldn't expect a goldfish to use a litter box. Or the dog to do the dishes. You know, it's like I don't pet the cat backwards, but the dog loves it. And so this means I'm not going to judge the differences between men and women when it comes to sexuality, informational processing, internal motivation. Um, And so you might want to listen to some of the shows that I've done previously on gender, and you can also find them on um, my Facebook page or the the website, CynthiaHyatt.com. So some of the basic gender differences when it comes to women, we want to remind ourselves that women have more white matter, which means that their brain um, moves quicker. They have uh, more connections, more neurons, so they think quicker. They have more words in their brain. Men have more gray matter, and so their brain is more mechanistic, so they are systematizing. So one of the things that happens many times you see with men and women is that men's brain automatically, for them, tries to figure out the rules that govern whatever system they're working with. So they are constantly, when it comes to women, they're trying to figure out what's the system, how does this thing work, because then they can anticipate... What would be successful? And sadly, you know, women are just a little bit more complex than that. And so what happens, you frequently hear men complaining, saying, you know, yesterday I bought her flowers and it's like, I was like the best thing, the, the, her biggest hero ever. Today I bought her flowers and she got mad at me for spending money. And so there is this need to understand that women are, are shifting a lot of, of in and out of different parts of their brain and their emotional world and their physical world. They have a lot going on inside of them. And so when men say, well, you know, I'm just more, I'm just simple. I'm just more simple. In some ways that, that can be true. And thank God for that, for that. Because if we had two genders that were built the same way, it would be very difficult, especially to, to try to have any intimacy whatsoever. So with women, they have these basic needs and one is security, the need for, uh, to be desired, certainly the need to give and receive love and the need to connect. And so these are the hardwiring, the hard-driving, motivational parts of a woman. So I always, it's funny to me when I say, you know, we know that a woman's basic need is security because she carries the handbag, and she has everything she could ever possibly need in that handbag. And then she probably has a little stash in her car, and then she has one also at the office. And men, what, they bring a money clip? Because men, will, they know they'll always be okay. They'll always figure it out. But that's not the case for women. That's not the, the underlying deep part of a woman. They are motivated to constantly secure. And so basic differences for men is we know that men's number one need is respect. So when I teach on gender, one of the things I'm telling women is you need to be very careful of your tone of voice, your body language, and how, the level of emotionality and intensity. Because it's very difficult for men to receive that from women. And many times they feel extremely disrespected. And a lot of that has to do with the hardwiring of their brain. They have a larger amygdala, which is an limbic system, which is where the fight or flight process, that sympathetic nervous system is. So when men see women having really big feelings, and if we're looking straight at them when we're having them, instead of being in the prefrontal lobe, which is where logic and time and um, the ability to, to process and problem solve, they are now back in the limbic system thinking that they're being attacked and they're going to go on the defense. So one of the things when we're working with gender is I want to make sure with men, I'm not putting them on the defense emotionally. That's not necessarily the case with women. So we know also for men, respect, we also know they need adventure and challenge. And so they're needing to test themselves. If they're not doing that, they're not going to like themselves. So they need to be getting out there and challenging themselves in the world and challenging themselves in other places with with relationships, with education, whatever that may be. The other thing that we know that men need is they they have a love for beauty. They love to be they love to have women around because women bring beauty to their world. Women soften the world for men. And so they have a great need for beauty. And so what we see in these in these differences is that this is the hardwiring in the way that God has made men. This is the way that God has made women. And we want to respect that, and we don't want to demean or demoralize any of that. We also have some basic temperament differences. And if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs, uh, this, this, what this does is this measures the way that we gather information, the way we, where we get our energy from, uh, how we make decisions, and, and then our basic way of living in our world, how we maneuver through our world. And when we have a, an extroversion and an introversion scale, we, we have both of these in us. We just have one that is more dominant. Well, the extroverted person is energized by the external world. So they are connecting with people all the time. Every time they talk with people, they get more energized. If they don't have interaction with people for too long of a period of time, they will get depressed. So I'm saying to men, if your wife is an extrovert, encourage her to talk on the phone. Encourage her to talk to her friends. Encourage her to go out to all those things. Because that helps her have energy. That is exciting for her. When we look at the introversion side, what we see is that people that are are more introverted get their energy from their internal world. So if they externalize too much, if they're out in the world too much, they get very worn out and they start to kind of flatline. So they need to go and have quiet solitude time to think, to ponder, to kind of decompress. So I say to a spouse, you know, if your wife, if your husband is an introvert, you need to give them time. If they don't have enough time, you're not going to like the version of them that you get because they're going to have no energy to do relationship. And so they'll either get really irritable or they'll just shut down completely. So we also have... This idea of thinking and feeling. And thinking people are going to be making decisions based on analysis, logic, right or wrong, truth or justice. They're going to make the right decision. Because they think if I make the right decision, everyone will feel good. Now the feeling people are making their decisions based on values. How it's affecting other people. So they're going to get more caught up in, if I make this decision, what's the effect it's going to have on that other person? And so it doesn't mean that the thinking people are without feeling. And it doesn't mean that the feeling people don't have analysis or logic it means that they come to that decision in a different way so the feeling person is gonna say you know I want to make the right decision because I want to be right for as many people as possible and I want to decrease as much conflict and so they're gonna think if I understand how this affects everybody then I'm gonna make a better decision the thinking person says I'm gonna make the decision based on facts and analysis and I know that then everyone will feel better This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me again in the next segment when we talk about personality differences. Thank you for joining me. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and we are talking about Relationship 101, and these are the basic foundational relational areas that if we can learn how to manage them, we're going to have much more intimacy and we're going to enjoy ourselves and the people that we're relating with much better. So we talked about appropriate expectations for ourselves and others. Now we're talking about this idea of understanding gender, temperament and personality differences. And so in the last one, we talked about the difference between the hardwiring of men and women, and I really encourage you, if you're in, in, in relationship with anyone in the opposite sex, if you're married, if you have children, friends, that you really get some understanding about gender. And then we talked about this, this idea of temperament differences, and we were talking about introversion and extroversion and thinking and feeling. And this last one that we, we want to think about is, is called the adapters or the organizers. And this is the way we go through our daily life. And so when we have someone that is a high on, on the organizing side of the scale, it means that, you know, they like to plan everything out. They like to anticipate what they're planning. They, they have the day, day timer. They've got, you know, their lives planned out to, for the whole entire year. They, these are the people that love Office Max and Staples. And they just kind of like to organize. And so they don't like it if they're, if they're high on that scale. They don't like it when you mess up their, their little schedule. And so we have the adapters. And these people are the ones that just live in the moment they kind of stop and smell the flowers, you know, and they they do time very differently. And so the adapters are the ones that really are just more about context. So you may start talking to a a person that's more of an adapter and think it's going to be 10 minutes. Well, they're just going to go as long as you want to go and as long as there's something to talk about. So they're the ones that as you're walking out to the car, you know, it, it takes about 20 minutes to say goodbye to them, or you're trying to wrap it up on the phone and they, you know, you say goodbye, and then they say one more thing. And, so these people are wonderful companions, and they are, they are very loyal in, in many ways. And so the, the people that, that live more in, in a, the adapting kind of way also have a different way of organizing. And so you may not have any idea how they organize, but they know where everything they have is. And so when we're, when we're dealing with that, we want to make sure that we are not demeaning or demoralizing or, or judging what is a basic way of, of living their world or basic way of making uh, decisions or, the, or where they draw their energy from. So this next part, when we look at personality, this is a little bit more complicated, and so I'm going to try to give you the easiest way. This is more kind of like our skeletal structure, where temperament is like our muscular. It's a little bit more uh, flexible. Temperament is pretty solid, this is, and we are born with a pers- a personality structure. And so this, is, this model that we use is... Uh, in defining personality, it's five independent dimensions, and it's Costa and McCrae's five factor model, which isn't necessarily as important to you. But what we have the first one we have this the scale of neuroticism. This is not to say neuroses, but there are six different facets here. And let me just the easiest way to understand it is if you are high on the neuroticism, you are going to be one of those people that are more sensitive. Uh, more easily ruffled, going to be a little bit more intense. It's that where that high-strung idea comes from. They gen- generally, when you have creative people, they are always going to be higher on the neuroticism scale. And so these people are, are um, more affected by the world, and so they, they kind of have to do their life a little bit differently. They have to practice different types of boundaries and self-care. They're going to probably have more self-consciousness. Sometimes they're going to be a little bit more vulnerable. They're, they don't handle stress maybe as well. And so part of being a more neurotic person, which I can tell you that I am very much a neurotic person, I'm quite high-strung myself, very creative and certainly sensitive. And so this type of thing causes me also to be very relational in many ways, because I pick up on many things that maybe someone that's not as high on that scale would pick up on. So the next one, we talked about extroversion in the one before. This is that person that has a trait. They're very sociable, very gregarious. They, they need to have adventure. And, and they, they usually have very positive emotions. So, when the, the third part is openness to experiences. And these are people that have vivid imaginations. They, they have an appreciation for art and beauty. They're open to, willing to try something new. They like ideas and knowledge just for the sake of knowing it. And, and they're probably more open minded in the values that, that are more relative. And so they're open to feelings, and they feel often strongly important, and and it needs to provide meaning. And so when we have someone that's high on the openness to experiences, that's what you're going to see. This next one is agreeableness. When we have someone that's high on the agreeable scale, these people are opposite to antagonistic or contrary people. So they're going to want to get along. They're going to be easy to get along with, and versus... On the opposite end of this agreeable scale, these are going to be the people that may be skillful manipulators, they're more aggressive, they're more hostile, they're less patient. They they kind of can set themselves against people, they're kind of skeptical, And, and it can sound kind of negative, but what we see many times with these people that are not as high on agreeableness, they can be very, very productive and they can be very relational. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment and we are going to talk, we're going to complete the personality and then we're going to talk about healthy boundaries and living in a very hectic world. Thank you for joining me again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and we are wrapping up the last part of this show on Relationships 101 and those basic foundational things, those basic foundational areas in relationship that if we, we find that if we manage them well and understand them, our relationships are smoother, and we have greater intimacy. And so this last time we were talking about the difference of gender and temperament and personality. And this last part of that personality structure that we were talking about was the, the conscientiousness scale. And when you see this in people, what you're seeing is they are very hardworking, very ambitious, very energetic, scrupulous, uh, persevering, and they have a very strong, high desire to make something of themselves. They're kind of compelled. So when you see someone that is kind of compelled in that way, what you want to say to yourself is, this, a lot of this is how God made them. So when we don't do that well... If I have high conscientiousness in my personality and I don't manage it well, you might see things like workaholism. Uh, they might get a lot of their um, self-worth and self-esteem from their work, how they look, how they, what they're doing. They, they, you may see a lot of energy that is destructive for yourself or for others. They may not have. A, they may have a difficult time relaxing, being flexible. You know, if someone is like, if they're not able to um, look toward that vision, and so. This is what you want to be thinking about when you're interacting with people that have high conscientiousness. So this last, this second part is about the setting and maintaining healthy boundaries. And so we're going to do just very quick here because the next show, next week, is going to actually be a whole show on boundaries. So what we want to think about is the whole point of boundaries is because it provides us with protection. And that's what we talked about earlier in the show, is that the need for a healthy structure in a relationship in order to have intimacy. And so boundaries are limits. This is, this is how far I'll go, and this is how far I will or won't let you go. And so this is, is kind of what I won't tolerate or how much I will tolerate. So boundaries are not about controlling the other person because we know we can't control other people and we can't control the external world. But we can control what we let in and what we let out. And so boundaries are invisible. They're the symbolic fences, So they keep people from coming into our space and abusing us and vice versa. And that would be emotionally, sexually, physically, psychologically, spiritually. So boundaries are that protection for me. And so they're given as a way to embody the sense of who we are. Boundaries help to define who I am. And so when we are in a place, um, when they're in place, they protect our thinking, our feelings, and our behavior. And they enable us to take responsibility, to be accountable. And we stop blaming others for what we think or feel or do. Also, we stop taking responsibility for abusive feelings and behaviors of others. So this allows us to stop manipulating or controlling those around us and to stop being manipulated and controlled by others. So when I have healthy boundaries, I'm much better able to be accountable because I really know what my part of the interaction is with a person or I know what what I'm doing in my world when I have those healthy boundaries. So without our own boundaries... I also cannot be aware or sensitive to the boundaries of others. So I may be a more invasive person. Or, or I may, um, when we have people that don't have good boundaries, a lot of times we don't feel safe around them. We, we might feel like anxious or kind of out of control. And that has a lot to do with the fact that that person is not necessarily having good control of themselves because they don't have good boundaries. So when boundaries are intact and flexible, we can have intimacy in our lives. But we're protected against being abused, physically, sexually, emotionally intellectually and spiritually. So when we do not have functional boundaries, we're gonna be exposed to opportunities for resentment to occur. And so many times what you'll see when there's a lack of boundaries, this is when we start to feel like we wanna really control something or or we, we have buildup of resentments or we start having conversations in our head about that person and and we start creating stories around what we think they're doing or saying or why they're doing what they're saying. And 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 that has a lot to do then with how we are going to interact with them on an intimate level. And so boundaries are imperative for us to know this is me and that's them so that I know what I'm able to do and what I need to accept and let go of and, and say, God, this, this is your problem because I can't do anything about it. And so it's this idea that, you know, we have to accept many times with family members, with spouses, with friends, with coworkers that they have the right to mess up their life. And that's a, that's a difficult statement to hear, but this is true. And so what we have the right to do is to determine how much we are going to be involved with them. So if this person is messing up their life terribly, we don't have the choice as to whether to force them to stop messing it up. All we can do is decide how close we're going to be to it. Okay, this last part here, when we are, what we are talking about is how to live peacefully in a world that demands immediate attention. And so the reason that this is important is because the, if we don't manage how stressful our world is, our relationships are going to suffer because it's going to bleed over into that relationship. And it's going to then affect that negatively. And then we'll have many more things that we have to work on and work through and process with that person. So one of the first things that I want you to think about doing when we're living peacefully in this chaotic world is that we're going to practice what we call the power of pause. And that means I don't have to do anything immediately. And I can say, this is a great way to set boundaries for yourself. Nobody can ever make me do anything. Nobody can make me do anything. And so I can stop, I can look, I can listen, I can figure out, I can orient myself, and I can take a moment and I can pause. And then I can say to myself, is this in line with my value system? So what's going on around me? What am I doing? What are these other people doing? What is happening in this workplace? What's happening? And, and is that within my value system? Because that's what I can control is whether or not I am operating within my, my own value system. This is going to cause me to feel at peace with myself, which means I bring peace to the places I go. If I'm in conflict with my own value system, I'm going to be in internal conflict. That comes with me when I'm relating to people. And they will feel that. They may not know what they're feeling but they're going to feel a different kind of energy with me. And so the third one is, this is what I like to call, I practice the three B's. This is one of the things that really helps me with boundaries. And the three B's are, nobody can make me do anything, but these are the three things that I have to do if I stay within my value system. And so I have to do something if nobody's breathing, if somebody's not breathing. I have to do something if if a bone is broken or if there's blood. And though anything other than those things, I really can stop and pause and I really can take my time. Nothing has to be done immediately so that I'm controlling how I do myself within time versus time and the world controlling me. And so what I also say to myself that helps when I am living peacefully with others as best as I can, one of the ways that is a great way to filter is if I breathe in, I can't talk. And so that helps me to pause. If I just take a breath, then it causes me to stop and to think. And I might consider not saying what I was originally going to say. Or I might say it in a different manner. But either way, what it does is if I take in a breath, I can't talk. But if I take in a breath, I also get oxygen, which we know helps our brain think. And so what happens when we can't think a lot of times, if we're very, very stressed out, we're probably not breathing. And so we're having really shallow breathing, which all Americans, we are very bad about shallow breathing, which causes our sympathetic nervous system to be heightened because it causes us to be on alert and we're going to be more defensive and we're going to be more on edge. So I want to work on breathing and knowing that one of the best ways to decide whether or not I need to say what I need to say is to take a breath. Now, the other thing is if I can't get my mind to settle down, one of the things that helps is if I just settle my body down. So it is difficult to be angry or stressed if my body is like a wet noodle. So if I just relax every part of my body, many times then my mind takes its cue from the body. Normally, we use our mind to give our body cues, but sometimes it helps if we do it the other way around. Then I ask myself, or I say to myself, is it? can I suspend this? Can I suspend this event and deal with it later? And this is one of the hallmarks of, of adults. See, because adults, we can suspend something, go to the next moment and deal with whatever that issue is later. The more immature we are or the more stressed we are, the less we have that ability and we need to get it done right now because I can't feel good if it's not fixed right now. Now, that that is not to say that there are some things that um, between different relationships people that in order to really be effective in the next moment, we may need to resolve something right now. But the idea is, you know, I can relax. I can deal with this later. This isn't going anywhere. And so I can still do my next moment and do it well with suspending another thing. And many times if I'm willing to suspend something, it probably works out better anyways in the long run. So I remind myself, I'm, I am a grown adult. What would an adult do right now? Because what the world wants to do to us is it stresses us out so badly many times that we get into survival mode. And when we're in survival, it's never pretty. And so we lose the adult part of ourselves, and we just start using that limbic system. That's the second brain, which is more adolescent in nature. And we, we you see this in the world where we have a lot of this going on, that we, we've kind of lost the adults. Like, where did they go? And so it's important that I say to myself, I, I need to relax for a minute, take a breath. I need to find my adult. What would an adult do right now? Because many times I just want to give in and give into that more immature, childlike part of myself that just... Just wants to do it right now, say it right now, act out right now because I'm just beside myself. So one of the ways I get back connected to myself is I take that breath, take a pause. I, I say, I think I might be able to suspend this. And, and if I need to respond, what would an adult do? So, and I remind myself, I am a grown adult. Number eight, I don't want to betray or shame myself. So how best can I honor myself in the, in the moment that I'm in? What is the most authentic for me? And that's one of the ways I live peacefully, because the more connected I am to, like we said, my value system, the more I'm going to honor myself in the moment I'm in, and I don't have a whole bunch of things I have to then resolve, like when we talked last week about having your best year ever. And this is one of the ways we don't clutter up our lives and have so many things that we have to get over and and resolve. So we don't want to betray and shame ourselves. And then I use this idea of radical acceptance. And many times I say to clients this famous saying, acceptance, the key to all my problems. And many times I will say to myself, you know, this is acceptance. I just need to accept. This is the way things are. And remind yourself that God is accepting everything. It doesn't mean he agrees with it or condones it. But if he didn't accept it, we'd all be dead. And so he's accepting things while he's working on things. Well, I can do the same thing. I can accept myself right now while I'm working on stuff. I can accept the other person. I can accept a situation and you will be amazed at how much peace you have. Then I'm going to validate myself internally so that I am being that healthy adult. So I'm going to pay attention to myself. I'm not going to judge myself, those feelings. I'm going to respond in a way that takes myself seriously. I'm going to acknowledge behaviors and emotions and and decide whether or not this this is positive, this is negative, this is authentic for me. So I'm not going to judge those emotions. And next I am going to practice what we call very intrapersonal effectiveness skills. So an intrapersonal relationship, that's the relationship between me, myself, and I. And so I'm going to practice softness with myself. We are very hard on ourselves, very hard on ourselves, which makes us come out of the, the house fighting already. We're already fighting with ourselves. We're going to come out fighting. We're going to be more defensive and we're going to be more aggressive with people in our rela- that, that we're in relationship with. So we're going to soften that. We're going to be kind to ourselves. And we're going to find five positive attributes. If I'm in a really bad space, really bad moment, you want to say, what are five positive things about me? I'm creating a kind environment and I'm practicing that radical acceptance. And I'm working on deeply liking myself. And we're going to talk about those kinds of things, those interpersonal skills in another show. So the entire teaching for this day, you want to remember acceptance, having realistic expectations, respect yourself, others, and pace yourself. So I'm going to accept myself completely as well as others. I'm going to have realistic expectations for myself and others. I'm going to respect myself and others. I'm going to see God in them and me, and I'm going to trust him with them and me. I'm going to pace myself so that life does not run me, that I, that God, runs my life. Thank you for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and I'll talk to you next
0: week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate and spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay anytime at KPXQ1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on 1360 KPXQ.